0: Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle our hearts with the power of your love. Take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our souls and set them on fire. Amen. Okay, sometimes coincidences aren't such a coincidence. Our lectionary today has us reading Genesis And it's a reading about Jacob having his hip busted out by an angel. Why did this have to happen to me this weekend? (laughs) Since Friday night at Los Dos Molinos, my hip has been busted and I don't know why, but I guess God is asking me to absorb something about today's message and take it seriously, both mentally and physically. Today's sermon is about getting into a real relationship with God, one that is realistic and messy, engaging, something emotionally charged. It's a relationship that requires our whole selves, not just our polite selves. And we all know how well and good we can gravitate to just being polite. We get this, I think, through our church culture from our English heritage. And in the early 1990s, there was an article in a British publication that is mostly satire. It's a publication called Private Eye. And it had this as its headline. God to leave Church of England. And what it said was, Following the example set by leading former Anglicans, God has indicated that he too is to leave the Church of England. Friends of God believe there were multiple reasons that prompted the Almighty's sudden decision to convert to something else. According to sources close to God, he's been unhappy for some time and has had enough. The article quotes a spokesperson for the Church of England responding, saying, Well, losing God is a bit of a blow, but it's just something we're going to have to learn how to live with. (laughs) Obviously, this parody is trying to show some type of stiff upper lip politeness that seems to plague mainline religion, specifically the British sense of politeness. If God were indeed leaving, I think we'd be a little bit more freaked out than that. Our church, the Episcopal Church, and many other denominations sometimes are criticized for being less than engaging. Sometimes our liturgy and prayers have been viewed as having a stiff upper lip and removed from the people. We try really hard for this not to be the case at Trinity But occasionally, labels like the Episcopal Church being the frozen chosen get applied. But this sense of orderliness, this tidiness, this sense of politeness that many of us have fallen into this day and age, this behavior in and of itself is not a Christian practice. Being patient with others, yes, That is a fruit of the Spirit. That is a Christian practice, being patient. But being overly polite, no matter what the circumstance? We need to look at today's gospel. It's a parable by Jesus. A widow and a judge. The judge doesn't fear God and doesn't really like other people. The widow is demanding justice. The judge honestly doesn't care about the widow at all. But Jesus tells us that the judge will grant justice just so that the widow will leave him alone. And the story concludes that we hear about the widow getting what she wanted because she was persistent with the judge. Jesus invites our persistence with God. But this isn't easy. Partly because it requires a whole lot of energy, and I'd say it probably requires us to alter how we relate to God and one another. At the end of the passage, Jesus even asks, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What is persistence anyway? What else are we actually persistent about in life? How does it help us somehow connect persistence and faith? This obviously cannot be stiff upper lip, polite Christianity. What's persistence and how are we persistent? Well, in our everyday world... I know several friends who are always persistent with finding cheap airfares and flights to go on vacation. They, they go online constantly almost every day to find the absolute lowest price before they decide to go anywhere. Their persistence of the travelers brings amazing cost savings. Or many of us have seen the persistent patient at the hospital or in our doctor's office asking 8 million questions about medical bills or prescriptions or about other appointments or something else. The patient's persistence brings a healthy level of engagement into that process with all facets of the patient's medical treatment. Our habits of persistence, they're all around us. From negotiating a lower APR on your credit card, to being persistent and getting that Direct TV rep to lower your bill, or to hounding the city to fix the alley behind your house, or making your landlord make improvements to your home, to even things like going to your child's school and forging closer relationships between administration, teacher, and student. Persistence actually fits in well with our culture. In so many ways, the habit of persistence fits in. But do we do this with God? Do we do this with God, and do we do this with one another at church? Abraham does this in the book of Genesis when he argues with God over and over constantly about saving the lives of a people in a city. We read that story at least once a year. And then today... Jacob argues and wrestles with this angel to know his name. And Moses, later on, just a few chapters later, we'll read, insists and is persistent with God to learn God's name. Persistence is part of the human experience. But do we share this part of our experience with God? I wonder. Persistence as a Christian practice has been overlooked for, sem- for centuries. I kind of think it's because it's not so tidy and buttoned up. Being persistent might get things a little messy. It might just inject a little conflict from time to time. But this is what Jesus is guiding us to do. This is important. It's actually what Jesus is asking us to do, the more we can persist with our deepest desires with God, the more connected to God we will be. In fact, our persistence with God will lead to a new type of engagement with God that will give us the great gift of having faith when times really get challenging. But this starts with us. Now, I could go through a whole laundry list of the ills of the world and how we feel outraged by them. We could talk about the people that are systemically excluded from fully participating in society. We might even discuss how our economic constructs are not leading us to the fullest prosperity possible for the long term. We could talk about all kinds of things. But each one of us, each one of us sees things differently, though. But I bet if you and I had a one-on-one conversation, you could easily rattle off the things in the world that are most important to your heart that are still in some ways unresolved. The relationships in your life that have been broken and haven't been mended. You might talk about the things that scare you about your life that you haven't learned how to engage with at all or pray about. And you might even mention intuitions or hints or signs of God calling you to a new place or into a new purpose, and your response to God has either been to run towards his call or figure out how to run towards his call, or maybe to ignore it altogether, All of us have had these experiences in one way or another. And many of them would find resolution if we persisted, just like the widow, to find the justice or the resolution or the bridge to new life that our persistence would bring. The bridge that would lead us to a faithful life with God and neighbor, engaging and persisting every step of the way. So what persistence practice will you take on this week? What's the part of your life that you've either ignored or overlooked that you're going to persist with God's help and find the healing, the transformation, and the new sources of God's blessing that are abundant and that never end? I want to close with a story because I think we need real-world examples. In 1979 a 16-year-old named Milo Payeng. He saw something on the banks of the river Brahmaputra in England. What he saw made him cry. He saw thousands of animals dying up on an island in the middle of the river. Thousands of animals dying. Seasonal floods had washed these animals onto this environmental wasteland. Molai made it his mission to prevent other animals from dying in this way. And so he persisted, and he presented his ideas to various tribunals um, in the Indian government, but the Indian government refused to help. By himself, alone, Molai persisted. For 30 years... He planted trees. And he even did really creative things, like he brought over ants to create an ecosystem that would thrive on its own. And so by 2008, his work was discovered by authorities who were chasing a herd of elephants. They looked around when they got to this place, and what they saw was unrecognizable. His work... Transformed a barren wasteland into a lush forest that was self sustaining and contributed to changing the entire region. This forest actually was now renamed and now it's called Molai Forest and it's home to dozens of different species. And because Milo Payang had persistence for 30 years, he changed his world completely and lived fully into his mission. Milo saw his mission as one of reforestation. The people of Trinity Cathedral have boldly proclaimed in our mission that we are welcoming all, all, to be transformed in Christ through worship, fellowship, and service. You have the ability to change the environment around you. You have the ability to heal the sick and proclaim release to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. You have the ability to bring good news, and I would add to bring good things as well to the poor. Just like Jacob, you have the ability to allow God to bless you but it takes your engagement and persistence. How does God call you to be persistent?